This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. From MPB Think Radio, this is Creature Comforts. It's the show all about your animals and the animals around you. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Our guest today is Dr. Nicole Hodges. She's coordinator of the Natural Heritage Program at the Museum of Natural Science. Halloween's almost here, and we couldn't find any vampires, so we're putting a signal in the air for bats. What do they eat? What diseases do they carry? How effective are bat houses, and what's the way, best way to discourage bats from being on your property? Join the conversation this morning. Give us a call. The number is one mpb ring Our phone number is one 672 7464 You can send us an email. It's animals at mpbonline.org. You're listening to Creature Comforts from MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with uh, Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, hasn't made it into the studio yet. We hope to have him on the show before the hour ends. We do have a guest today, though. It's Dr. Nicole Hodges. She is coordinator of the Natural Heritage Program at the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Halloween is almost here, as you know. You know, we couldn't find any vampires, so we put a signal in the air for bats. We're going to try to find out today what bats eat, what diseases they carry, how effective are bat houses, and what's the best way to discourage bats from coming onto your property. We're looking for your calls and uh, comments this morning. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring Our phone number is one eight seven seven. 672-7464. You can send an email. It's animals at mpbonline.org. Creature Comforts is on MPB Think Radio twice each week. It airs Thursday mornings at 9, repeats Saturday mornings at 6. And also, if you have a smartphone, uh, go to your favorite podcast app, and uh, all of the local shows on MPB Think Radio are now available as a podcast. You can search for Creature Comforts, uh, and then you can enjoy the show on your schedule. So good morning. Hope that you're both doing well this morning. Yes. Good morning. And there's Troy. And Dr. Major has made it in, so we're all here today. Uh, let's, uh, let me talk about some things going on at the museum. I know you've got a big event coming up. Yeah, this is all about Park After Dark. Halloween has gotten to be, you know, Halloween's a lot bigger than it was when I was a kid, but it's, um, I guess, more commercialized as well. But uh, Halloween has become a real big deal at the museum because we do have some of those things as residents at the museum or subject matter of exhibits that people consider sometimes a little creepy, and uh, but in a fun way. So the last few years, the museum has done a big park after dark, and they kind of debunk some of the 
some of the creepy things about stuff, but they, they can tell you some, some true creepy stuff, too, if you want to hear that. So it's, it's a lot of fun, but there's also candy, and the Children's Museum is open that night, too. It's going to be this Friday from 5.30 to 8.30, and Nicole can tell us more about that in a little while, but lots of fun. Uh, there is some off-site parking if it gets real crowded, and it's very easy to use. You just park over there at Smith Wheels and get on a, a trolley and come right over to the museums. And then when you get in the park, uh, you can walk around and um, see both museums and get a little candy and come in an animal costume, if at all possible, and get in the contest. It's, it's a real fun time. All right, very good. Uh, we are going to be talking about bats today with our guest, uh, Dr. Nicole Hodges. Uh, she's coordinator at the Natural Heritage Program at the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Dr. Hodges, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Tell us a little bit about the Natural Heritage Program at the museum. <laughs> well, um, basically, uh, we monitor endangered species in the state of Mississippi and uh, People will send in uh, environmental reviews, and we will assess, look at our list, and determine um, what endangered species are listed in the area. All right. Uh, what about uh, b- bats? Ha- um, ha- have you always been interested in that, and when, when did you start studying bats? <laughs> uh, I started studying bats uh, as an undergraduate student. I started working with Dr. Jeannie Jones on a research project. And um, it was out at Knotsby National Wildlife Refuge, and we were studying raffinous big-ear bats in southeastern Myotis. So that's how I first was introduced to working with bats. All right. Looks like we've got some early callers on the line, so let's uh, go to the phones. And first, we'll invite Scott from Pearl. Good morning, Scott. Go ahead. Good morning. Uh, I wanted to pay tribute. I thought it might be a special way to start your show this morning, to pay tribute to a friend of mine that's also my brother's father-in-law who gave many of his years to um, uh, as overseer of the Natural Science Museum. And he's been, uh, Mr. Erskine, Mr. B.E. Gandy, has been laid to rest today after a lot of years of faithful service. And and I, I knew that y'all would want to know that if you didn't already, but also uh, just thought it was very fitting that uh, he laid the foundation for what the uh, Natural Science Museum has become today and such a, such a wonderful opportunity for young and old alike to enjoy the the uh, natural uh, environment that we share, and uh, I just wanted y'all to, to help celebrate with with his family and with the rest of us who knew him and then those who did not that are getting to, to reap the, the benefits of a lot of his years of uh, good work and the, and the co-laboring that he did with many of y'all. So. Thank you, Scott. Yes, um, Mr. Gandy was a wonderful old guy. There, you know, the museum started in 1932. Miss Cook was the first, and then Mr. Gandy. And so, through all those years, I was only the third director, and now Charles Knight is the fourth. And um, uh, Mr. Gandy hired me. I, I, it, it was uh, set me on the the path for my life's work for sure. And I think he says the same thing about Miss Cook that she hired him and set him on his lifelong mission. But um, I'll be there today with the family, too. And thank you he so much a, for... He was an ornithologist, and uh, I think the birds will have a new angel in heaven on their side. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> you know, yeah, we've got a long history of birds at the museum, because that was... Miss Cook uh, did a lot of her professional work on fish, but her her love was birds. And, you know, Mr. Gandy did, did publication. I think his... Um, 
master's work was on herpetology as well. I think, well, right. I think he, he did on frogs, but then his big love was birds, too. All right. Thank, thank you all for your work and your show. It's great to, great to always participate, whether actively or passively. All right. Thank great. you. Thanks, Scott, for the call. We appreciate that. Uh, let's move on next. We've got Vicki, who's called in from Nettleton this morning. Go ahead, Vicki. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. I was wondering, with the increase of diseases carried by mosquitoes, and why would anyone want to discourage bats from their property? That's a strange question because I wouldn't want to discourage bats from my property because they are very important in um, uh, controlling the insect population. Um, yeah, definitely. And um, I guess the, the one reason that you might want to discourage bats from living in your house is that you you, you definitely get an odor from the guano. So, you know, it, it's kind of a, a, a tricky thing. Nicole and I were talking about that, that people call in a lot and want to discourage bats from being in their attic. But it... it if at all possible, it's great to be able to get them to stay close to your house. You know, if they're in a barn or they're in an abandoned building or they're in a hollow tree or a bat box, something like that is much better than them being right in your house with you where you can smell the guano. But now, if you've got a, a well-sealed house, sometimes they can, they can, you can cohabitate with them and be just fine. And I'm so glad that you brought that up, Vicki. Right, yeah, Vicky. Thanks for the call. A friend of mine um, went on a trip to Australia several years ago, and he said that uh, in some cities they again actively encourage uh, the bats to be there because, as Vicky mentioned, the natural um, mosquito control, and as as she said, uh, you know, with the Zika and with the West Nile virus, and just the fact that you know anybody who's been bitten by a mosquito, that's certainly not a pleasant experience. So uh, they could, uh, they're certainly beneficial that way. In a lot of cities, bats colonies will live under bridges. And um, actually, that's just a perfect place for them, you know, because you tend to will have some stagnant water sometimes up under a culvert. Um, our mutual friend, Nicole, I went out with, with Kathy Shelton once to under, there's some culverts that you don't notice, you know, how you call it. It's a bridge, I guess, because they have those little signs that say, frozen, you know. Right. Yeah. The bridge freezes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Slippery when frozen or something like that. But there's a couple on Highway 20 between here and Vicksburg that had, oh, there were lots of bats underneath there. And that was pretty cool because there was also standing water there. So it's you perfect to eat those mosquitoes before they find us. So, Dr. Hodges, uh, Libby mentioned uh, Park After Dark. Uh, will bats be part of the event? We won't have bats this year, but I, there will be a booth a set up with the Mississippi Bat Working Group, and we'll have handouts and candy to hand out at the event. Okay. Uh, what about uh, the different types of bat? How many different species of bats do we have here in Mississippi? We have uh, 15 different species of bats have been detected in the state of Mississippi, and uh, gray bat and Indiana bats are fairly endangered, where the northern long ears are fairly threatened. Uh, southeastern myotis and raffinus big ear bats and hoary bats are all a species of concern by the state of Mississippi. Um, so those are the species that we have in the state and the ones that are fairly threatened. And are bats found in all parts of Mississippi? Yes. 
Um, their natural roots are in the uh, hardwood forest, and as Libby was saying, now that our forests are um, not as everywhere like they mm-hmm. used to be, now they are uh, using man-made uh, structures such as the culverts under our highways and in old houses and barns. Okay. We need to take a quick break. When we get back, we'll continue talking about bats with our guest, Dr. Nicole Hodges. She is the coordinator of the Natural Heritage Program at the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. And Dr. Major is here if you need a pet question answered. The number to call if you'd like to join the conversation is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, Or you can send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. Back with more of the show after this. It's Felder Rushing. I'm the Gestalt Gardener, and I am so pleased to join y'all every week talking about gardening. You know, you don't have to be anybody or join anything to be part of this party. All we're going to do is talk about gardening and garden-related stuff and maybe a little psychology working in at the same time. Let's have a lot of fun on the Gestalt Gardener. Fridays at 9 and Saturdays at 10 on MPB Think Radio. Support for MPB comes from Grammy Museum, Mississippi. Presenting funk, soul, and R&B artist Nigel Hall in the Sanders Soundstage for a conversation and live performance. November 29th at 7 p.m. Details at grammymuseumms.org. Coming up this week on MPB's At Issue, agriculture in Mississippi. It generates billions of dollars. Is Mississippi's number one industry. It's the driver of our economy. The state is an agriculture leader for the nation, but there are some challenges. We feel like we have two choices. We have to import our labor or we'll have to import our food. From overseas and here at home. I don't have a problem with it as long as they play fair. We take a closer look at agriculture in Mississippi on At Issue. This Friday at 7.30 p.m. on MPB-TV. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. And welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Dr. Troy Major is veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. Our guest today, Dr. Nicole Hodges, coordinator of the Natural Heritage Program at the museum, and also our resident expert on bats for this morning. If you have a question or a comment and would like to join the conversation, the number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two. 
888-447-7464. Send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. Dr. Major, I always like to take what I call executive privilege and, and ask a couple of personal questions. And uh, brought my cat into the vet, uh, into the clinic yesterday for his annual checkup and discovered that he had fleas, which I was kind of surprised about because he never goes out. But uh, the other thing was he never really seemed to be itching a lot. So does that mean that maybe uh, we caught this before the flea problem got out of hand, or is it sometimes it's just not overtly scratching and seems to bother them? Well, you know, interesting you say that because, you know, some some cats, uh, one or two fleas, and they'll go kind of nuts. But uh, it might change since he's he hasn't had fleas before, as far as I know. So next time he gets them, he may be more itchy, if you will. Uh, we've seen a real explosion of fleas and some ticks that a dog in yesterday that had many, many what I call seed ticks, the little tiny ticks that uh, uh, probably wouldn't have seen on this dog except we had on the exam table and they started falling off. So need to really work at checking your pet. And a lot of times if you'll, you know, when you're grooming or when you're just sitting with your cat <laughs> rubbing on the cat, I have to, rub, you know, I have to pet my cat every time I come home. <laughs> Or she's going to have a fit, and then I try to give her a treat or two, and then she wants to be petted more. But it's good to look and see if you see any any fleas or flea dirt. Flea dirt is a very telling thing. Uh, it's the basically the stool of the fleas, which they suck blood, and uh, it is going to be black like like pepper, actually. Mm-hmm. So, but we have seen a lot more uh, a surge, if you will, a surge, if you will, in fleas now that it's turned a little bit cooler. And I was talking to Libby before we came on the air. It's it's amazing to me. Uh, one of the things I admire about veterinarians is uh, they. I think it was Comfortis, the pill uh, that they gave him, and so it's a, a, a large pill that looked to be almost as big as his little mouth. So they were able to open his mouth and kind of jam it in there and make him swallow that. And I'm thinking to myself, there is no way I'm going to be able to do that at home. So I'm glad uh, glad we have the professionals to help us out there. But it, uh, it really seemed to help out. It was interesting too that uh, I think as they were dying, they became a lot more obvious because when I when I saw him when I got home from the vet you know they were kind of crawling all over him and uh, he he was a little uh, upset about that but after you know after about an hour or so i think they uh, killed them all and uh, he seemed to be doing well and i have not noticed any more on him so i went out also and bought some uh, some spray so i'm going to kind of spray around uh, the doorways around maybe the house around the baseboards uh, in the bedroom and, and around the couch some of his play, favorite places to hang out so right. hopefully we'll get that uh, under control right and always be careful when you have uh, when you're spraying or treating the house uh, most of the um, sprays are fine once they dry, but you sure don't want to let him walk through it when it's when it's wet. Interesting too about the uh, fleas that you were talking about. It actually most of the or a lot of the flea type products that uh, causes seizures in the fleas, and they actually become much more active as they're dying. Mm-hmm. So you'll see them squirming around or dancing or having seizures. And uh, right before they die. So they are more active a lot of times after they've been treated. Yeah, that was definitely the case. But like I said, it uh, seems like we're we're clear for now. So that was good. good. Uh, and, 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 and as you mentioned, and I had seen somewhere as well, it's a very active flea season. So all pet owners probably be a little more diligent uh, this time of year to make sure that we keep our pets uh, safe and, and, and free from all of those nasty fleas. Uh, let's go back to the phone lines. We'll start with uh, Petra in Ridgeland. Good morning, Petra. Good morning. How are you? Good. What do you have for us today? Well, um, we built our house many years ago, and we have these big southern columns. And on the inside of the porch, they are open on the top. So a few years ago, 
we had three colonies of bats move in. Um, I don't know if they're independent from each other. They're about six to ten bats. And I sit there with my grandchildren. I watch them leave in the morning. We watch them come back uh, in the evening uh, or leave in the evening, come back in the morning. We love them. We hear them fuss with each other. Um, but do they migrate? Because there are times, um, especially when it gets colder, we don't see them at all. And then for Halloween, I was in Japan, and they have fruit bats. Those bats are as big as big cats. Mm. They have red eyes and hang upside down. Those are Halloween bats. But <laughs> we love cats, and we want them protected. All right. Uh, I guess your question about migration, can you tell what kind of bat they are? Have you... Have you, can they you describe are, they them are to small. us? Um, they, they, they are small and they are dark brown. They are as small as my, the palm of my hand. Okay. Any thoughts on uh, what bat that might be? Can you? Um, I mean, it could be a number of bats because they're all small and dark brown. <laughs> <laughs> um, Usually in houses, we find big brown bats and evening bats or Brazilian free tails. And with the Brazilian free tails, you can see just the tip of their tail hanging out from their potassium. Um, so it's kind of hard to figure out which species without more description. Yeah, Petra, do they have a noticeable little tail? Well, it, you know, they're so fast. Yeah, it's hard to tell. <laughs> yeah. yeah, There is no stopping yeah. and let me look at you. And they come so close to us, they whoosh by your face. Um, it, it, we just see them fly. I have not been able to look at them that close. Well, do they stay year-round? Have you had them long enough to tell that? We've had them over several years now, okay. five, six years. But there's always, in the winter, we don't see them. I don't know if, if they hibernate or if they leave. But in the, when it becomes cold, like right now, starting right now, we see them less and less. Well, in the wintertime, our bats go into torpor because the temperatures don't really get down, you know, really cold like it does in the northeast. So, like, whenever we have uh, warm bouts of weather, they'll start flying around and eating insects at night. But So they don't really hibernate here. Um but to answer your question, uh, during the summertime, they'll probably find another roost somewhere. Like they have different uh, roosts for like maternal colonies, so they may move somewhere else to have their little ones. Oh, see, they have their babies with us. So oh, okay, that's they cool. Need to go somewhere else. Okay, that's great. We can hear them fuss uh, over the new babies, and and it's it's a joy. So I really ask everybody to give bats a chance and look at them and protect them. All right. Those bats found the right place. Yeah, no yeah. <laughs> All right, Petra, thanks for your call. Let's uh, move on next. We've got a call from Meridian. Jerry's on the line. Good morning, Jerry. Morning. Long time, first time. Love the show. Thank you. Uh, question about bats. Has the uh, white nose syndrome turned up in the, our bat population here in the state, and, and what measures are we doing to monitor or, or protect that from happening? Yes, back in uh, 2013, our biologists swabbed different areas, and we did test positive for white-nose syndrome. But we go back every year and continue swabbing, and since then, the, the fungus has not been detected. So that may have been a false positive, or um, the fungus could have died. 
So okay. we, we haven't found it again. No, we haven't found it again, and we have not detected any mortality associated with the disease. And um, Kathy Shelton, who I mentioned earlier, a biologist from the museum, heads up that work, and she spends a lot of time and has some assistance uh, looking for for the disease and monitoring populations around the state. All right, Jerry, thanks for the call. So relatively good news there in terms of the white uh, nose syndrome. Uh, This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. If you have a question about your pet for Dr. Major or a question about bats for our guest, uh, Dr. Nicole Hodges, you can give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. The phone number is 1-877-672-7464. Send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. Uh, so, Dr. Hodges, you mentioned that most of the bats in Mississippi are, are, are brown. Uh, what about the size? Uh, I guess maybe the Petra described one that was kind of the size of, of her palm. Uh, h- how big uh, do the various species of bats get here in Mississippi? They're not very large in size. Um, they usually weigh about uh, 15 to 20 grams, and the uh, forearm length is like 34 millimeters. So the bats that we have in Mississippi are not very large. They're very small. What about, um, you know, Halloween, or bats are associated with that. A lot of people, I think, are afraid of bats. Why do you think that is? Is it just that kind of popular culture we in the movies and that sort of thing mm-hmm. and people maybe misunderstand bats? I really think that it has a lot to do with the movies in Hollywood because um, they have them. Um, getting in people's hair or they bite you and suck your blood um, but <laughs> um, they don't really do that and the bats the vampire bats do not exist here in Mississippi so the only way that you would ever get bitten by a bat that would eat your blood would be in South America but so there actually is a vampire bat yes it does exist um, they are the only mammals that feed on blood, um, and their victims are usually sleeping cattle, pigs, and horses. But sometimes they will um, uh, feed on people. Um, and basically, like, they land near their uh, prey, and they crawl on our floors to go to it. Like, they don't attack from the air. So that's really interesting about them. And a really cool fact about uh, vampire bats is that uh, there's medical research be, uh, being conducted on their saliva because it's an anticoagulant, and they're using it to save stroke victims. And the name of the drug is called Dracula, and they named it after Count Dracula. <laughs> that's so that's an interesting fact about vampire bats. Um, what about um, what they? We mentioned that they're they're good at, at mosquito control. Uh, what other kind of things do bats eat? They uh, eat beetles and moths, and um, they are said to be very uh, good ecologically because it controls the insect population, especially with agricultural crops. And there's a number, I can't remember exactly about the millions of dollars that it's, oh, $3.7 billion a year in uh, agricultural costs. So they're very important ecologically. Um, um, and what about, uh, again, Petra mentioned seeing them upside down. Do they sleep upside down, and, and what's the reason for that? They do sleep upside down, and the saying is that they do that to avoid predators, so it's easy for them to just drop down and start flying. They get away from the predators quicker. And they have developed, they have evolved over time to adapt to be able to do that. Got some calls on the line. Let's uh, begin with our friend Kathleen in Osaka. Good morning, Kathleen. Hi, 
Hi, how you doing this morning? Good. Doing, doing good. What do you have um, for us? I got one little update. Uh, I found a number for Mississippi Span, and uh, it's a neuter and spaying <gasps> for reduced and low cost uh, spaying for animals. And I have a number, which is 601 420 2438. All right. And you can call, and they discuss the fees with you. Uh, and I do have a question about bats. If I have some that I think are in the attic, I've got someone coming with materials to repair it. How do I make sure they're all out? Any thoughts when, there? When we, when we seal that up. That's a very good question because it's going to be hard to determine because they can get in any crevice or hole anywhere. Yeah. Um, so that's a really hard question. But... I was thinking I guess, about spraying, uh, setting off some of those insect bombs up there and then running them out if they run out for that. I don't know. Does it affect them? I probably wouldn't recommend that, but what you could do is wait till the evening whenever they emerge from the house. Everyone, All of them will usually emerge in the evening time, and then you can uh, place, you know, fix the hole where they're uh, coming in. Okay. Well, yeah. the hole is the hole soffit on the upstairs of the house, so that's not going to be done in one night. Oh, that's true. No. Well, you may have to work night by night. <laughs> if there's a way you could put a screen yeah. or something All that up, overtime sounds yeah. lovely. <laughs> yeah. If you can put like a, a piece of screening or something up, then you could do the woodworking in the day once you've excluded them with screen or something. Oh, now Does that that's make sense? an idea. I could yeah. get them to staple that up there, and that way it would be right. easy to take down. Mm -hmm. If somebody could do that at night, and then if you haven't gotten them all, you know, mm -hmm. you can, I mean, I hate to say, but you could go up there at night, and um, you'll see them trying to get out if they're still in there. So I was what, thinking of even hanging a disco ball running them out. <laughs> <laughs> that might work. Uh, yeah, I had a, a comment about like, your yeah. turtle show from last week. Uh, I did rescue a turtle that was hit by a car uh, about five years ago, and I did the super glue thing, and I just let it. Loose here on the property, um, an area to where I, I thought she'd be safe, or he or her, or whatever. And uh, I'll be doggone if I wasn't uh, playing with the rabbit in the rabbit cage and kind of uh, straightening up. And I saw something moving by my foot. Do you know that little rascal dug a hole and laid an egg right in front of me? <laughs> oh, that's that? I think that was her way of saying thank you. <laughs> Very good. All right. Kathleen, have a good day. Thanks. Good to hear from you. Uh, let's take another quick break. When we get back, we will continue our discussion. Our guest this morning on Creature Comforts is Dr. Nicole Hodges. She's coordinator of the Natural Heritage Program at the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science and our resident bat expert for the morning. Dr. Majors here, ready to take your pet questions. The number to call if you'd like to join the conversation is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven. 672-7464. Send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. Back with more after this. This election year has been unpredictable. It can be hard to keep track of what's true and what's not. But NPR's election team wades through it all so you don't have to. Be informed. Listen to this station every day.
Hi, I'm Dr. Michelle Owens. I'm Dr. Allie Brown. Join us on Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio, where we talk about issues related to health from a woman's perspective. Listen to us on Southern Remedy for Women on Fridays on MPB from 11 to 12. You don't have to be a woman to call in. So we'd love to hear from you. It's the show for women and the people who love them. Join us tomorrow at 11 o'clock. We'll be taking your calls to answer all your health questions. It's Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science, Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. Our guest today is Dr. Nicole Hodges. She is coordinator of the Natural Heritage Program at the Museum of Natural Science and our resident bat expert for the day. We've got some calls on the line, but first, you know, Dr. Major, we mentioned just a minute ago of uh, vampire bats, and you were telling me off air that you've had some experience with those. A fair amount. I've been going to Central America for the last, oh gosh, since 70, well, really 93, 94. And uh, you're exactly right. It's it's not as bad a problem maybe as a lot of people would like to say, but in horses especially, and in cattle, uh, they will literally, they're able to crawl up the animal's leg. And uh, usually when they take a meal, it's somewhere in the neck region, uh the anticoagulant does a good job, and some of the horses that I've seen especially will be oozing blood you know, from the lesion. And apparently they return maybe not every night, but almost every night to the same place. Actually, in, in Nicaragua, they had initiated a program where they loaned out nets and put the horse under a tree and dropped the net <laughs> over the bat. But I don't think it had much much uh, impact on, on the, the vampire bat. But anyway, it's interesting, and they do affect cattle as well. And I'm sure an occasional person may get bitten. All right. Fortunately, as we said, though, uh, no vampire bats here in Mississippi. So right. uh, our, our necks are safe for the time being. <laughs> uh, let's go back to the phones. We say good morning to Frank in the hub city of Hattiesburg. Good morning, Frank. Good morning. Enjoy the show. Love and listen. Thank you. Uh, one question uh, regarding bats. It's been several years, but I seem to recall a person contracting rabies from a bat and maybe somewhere in central Mississippi around Forest. To make a long story short, is there still or has there been rabies found in bats in Mississippi? Um, well, bats are mammals, so they're capable of contracting rabies. Um, and I think that with all the um, samples that have been submitted to the CDC, only about 5 or 6% actually test positive, and that's across the United States. So there is a potential that bats can have rabies, but all of them do not. One of the things that uh, we see, and quite often, think about a cat. If there's a dying bat, on the ground, fluttering, the cat's going to go over and be curious and play with it. Curiosity killed the cat, I guess. But there was a cat, I believe, in Columbus uh, about two years ago or maybe three years ago. And the tests that they have now, they can actually identify whether it was a bat uh, DNA or or some other animal. So it was spread to this cat uh, by, uh, by a bat. But it's very rare. Uh, I remember as a kid... 
uh, which is too, way too long ago. But anyway, uh, I can remember there were dogs um, that had rabies. Uh, I remember we went to see a dog. I was going to get a little, gosh, it was an English shepherd. And uh, got to the place, and there was this sign on the on the post that said, Quarantine Hydrophobia, which, you know, is fear, fear of water. But uh, the uh, interesting thing is we don't see it much. We're much more fortunate than some other states um, that have endemic rabies in wildlife. So uh, I'm really thankful for that, that we don't. Okay. Uh, let's move on. We've got uh, Lynn from Laurel on the phone next. Lynn, uh, do you have bats in the belfry? Well, we did. <laughs> <laughs> there were hundreds and hundreds of them. And when the organist would begin to play, they would get louder and louder. <laughs> but there was, you know, after so many hundreds and hundreds of them, you could tell. I mean, didn't mind listening to them chirp back, but the guano was beginning to have a smell. Called mm-hmm. the, um, you know, the wildlife fisheries, and they told us they could, and they gave us a price. And then they also said, uh, gave us the names of people in this state who go and remove the bats so we got him and he went up and had these funnels look like it wasn't chicken wire but it was tiny wire and put it up exactly where the bats were coming out they could fly down there and he'd put them in shoot them into what he was hauling them off in Hmm. and he was there a couple of days and uh he told us he said i didn't see anything like whatever that night he was he said, but if you'll get somebody to come over in the evening and check it for about a week, and I think they're gone. Mm-hmm. And they did, and they were not back. But then my neighbor has a two-story house, and we kept seeing bats coming in and out of that, his attic. <clears throat> and uh, he says, well, I'm going to fix that. And he went and bought a floodlight. Mm-hmm. And in the evening, he turned that, when they all came back, he turned that floodlight on, and they were flying out. And he did that for two or three days till they didn't come back anymore. All right. So, you know, if it's just like a, at a house with not that many, that's a really good way to get rid of them. All right. Lynn, thanks for the call. Good story and a good suggestion there to uh, try to get bats out of the uh, attic in a house. And as she said, yeah, if there's not too many, that uh, bright light would uh, work. And, and again, Dr. Major mentioned while we were off air that uh, it's a good way to uh, see where they might be getting in. If you have a bright light that you would put in your attic at night, you could go and anytime you see where the light is streaming through, obviously that's a spot where the bats could get in. And as Dr. Hodges mentioned, they're, they're very small and, and can get in through very small cracks and crevices. So uh, you want to make sure you uh, when you're doing that, to make sure you've got everything covered up so to yeah. keep them out. I think the disco ball probably would work as well. <laughs> <laughs> you might be popular with the neighbors then, that too. <laughs> Have a disco party at your it house would, every yeah, it night. It would be fun to try. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's move next. Brent's called in from Grenada this morning. Hello. Good morning. Go ahead. Hi. Good morning. Uh, I had a quick question. We have a bat house up on the side of the shed. And uh, it's up pretty high and away from everything else, but we've never had any bats, and I was wondering if there was anything I could do to attract them better than uh, than we're doing now. Can you describe where you have it located? Well, it's uh, if you can imagine, it's it's probably about 15 feet up in the air on the side of a uh, on the side of a barn, the front up near the peak, and um, there's it's probably. 40, 50 feet away from the house, 
uh, itself where we live. So I thought it was probably far enough away uh, to to. And I, I believe it's on the. Um, I believe it's on the the west side of the uh, barn. It faces west. Okay. Um, is there a way you can make it face east or south? Because usually, oh, if okay. it if it has six to eight hours worth of sunlight, usually that'll attract them to the bat house. I see. I got gotcha. you. Okay. So east or south? Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, thank you. All right, Brent. Part thanks of that's for the call. For the warmth, yeah. It? You want it to you want it to be in a real warm place. Yeah. What are some other things if someone is interested in trying to get a bat house and attract some bats uh, that that they would need to to think about? Um, a really good place would be to put it near a water source, mm-hmm. and um, they usually like it on mounted to a building. So mounting to the barn was a really good idea because if you mount it to a tree, the limbs will be in the way for it to just drop out and fly. Um, and they need to be at least 12 to 20 feet up off the ground to give them that distance to be able to drop and fly. Okay. Uh, looks like we need to take one final break this hour. We've got some calls on the line. Looks like we've got some bat questions and some pet questions as well. So let's take this final break and get back uh, to wrap up the program. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Still time for you to join the conversation with a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring The phone number is one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. Back with more after this. This election year has been unpredictable, and it can be hard to keep track of what's true or not. But NPR's election team wades through it all, so you don't have to. Be informed. Listen to this station every day. Today is Thursday, but you know what tomorrow is. It's Friday, and that means high school football. Hello, everyone. I'm Russ Robinson. Join me, Jay White, Jake Wimberly, George Broadstreet, and the whole gang as we bring you all the scores and the stories that make up high school football across the state of Mississippi. So join us tomorrow night at 10, right here on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. Libby Hartfield is retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. And our guest today, Dr. Nicole Hodges, who is coordinator of the Natural Heritage Program at the museum and our resident bat expert this morning. So, Dr. Hodges, we had uh, had a question about a bat house, and uh, during the break there we were chatting. You had a couple of websites uh, for folks who might be looking to put a bat house up in in their uh, yard that might give them some some advice and some tips. were those sites? Uh, one site is batcon.org and another site is batconservation.org and both of those have they give you instructions on how to build your own if you wanted to but they also sell them. All right very good back to the phone lines we go we start again in Rankin County. Bill's on the line. Good morning Bill you're up next go. 
Yes, sir. I may have the wrong station, actually. That's in the Belfry. This <laughs> little but I don't know. I got a cat, a little kitten, throwaway kitten, rescue kitten. It's probably six weeks old. Uh, about three weeks of life after the eyes are open. I noticed a an airway breathing hole under its chin and the neck and a lump and uh, took it to the vet and got out of what we presume is a bot fly larva. Right. But uh, now, and has been ever since that time, the little guy cannot get the mama to feed, and she's not a very good mama, but uh, circles, circles to the right, extreme tight circles, cannot travel in a straight line. Sometimes it can elongate the circle. We've given it uh, those plomacin and uh, steroids and uh, uh, an antibiotic that, that penetrates into the brain, thinking it might be an egg or something up there, uh, giving it uh, insecticide to kill them if they are. But uh, and having a hand feed it is it's getting a chore for that. Any ideas about what else we might do? That's interesting, yeah. And whether or not the bot fly had anything to do with that or not, I don't know. Uh, we do see some kittens that have uh, some issues as far as circling. Uh, there may be some permanent uh, neurological deficit that the kitten was born with. It's just not showing up. But uh, it makes it very difficult to treat. And it sounds like you've probably run the gamut just about of medication and uh, this sort of thing. So I don't know what I can tell you other than if you're going to keep the kit and keep it in a fairly closed environment. And uh, can it eat on its own now? Not really. You have to kind of hem it up with your hands. Okay. It's, it's going for some solid food uh, a little bit. It just doesn't yeah. eat very much. It hasn't gained an ounce, I don't right. think, in the three weeks or so of right. working with it. Uh, what's the likelihood, would you think, that it would eventually being it so young grow out of it if it is a bot five problem uh where it might have chewed into some neurons or something okay uh very difficult to come up with a a good answer there but if you're willing to take care of the kitten which does get to be a chore but if you're willing to take care of the kitten it probably will be okay but i don't know that it's going to outgrow this this sounds from what you're telling me there's probably some permanent damage it sure seems that way. Right. Well, well just a question. Well, thanks for, try- thanks for trying. I know you have, and uh, I wish I could give you better advice. But uh, if it does snap out of this, let us know, okay? <laughs> That'd be a blessing. Y'all get back to feeding your vampire. <laughs> All righty. <laughs> thanks, uh, Bill, for the call. I got an email here that says, uh, I have a large dog, 116 pounds, that got out of his cage and fell out of my truck. He landed on his rear and broke the bottom and middle bone that attaches his hip joint. The top bone that attaches at the spine is not broken. He's supposed to be kept from activities for two months while we give the bottom bone a chance to heal. How little activity can he actually do? Or can I guess he's saying how much uh, do they really need to restrict his his movements and things? Okay. I'm not sure exactly where this fracture is uh, based on what you just read. Uh, and I don't know if it's been splinted or whether it's what's been done. My suggestion, though, is that strict cage rest for probably six weeks or so, uh, the dog would need to be on some calcium supplement uh, and good quality diet. Uh, If it's going to heal on its own, it probably will take that long to get a pretty good callus 
Uh, and the more you can restrict the activity, the better off we'll be. All right. Very good. I think that's a good answer for Bob and Tupelo. Uh, let's move on next. We've got uh, Darlene in Mobile. Good morning, Darlene. Go ahead. Hello. Yes, you're on the air. Go ahead. Okay. I've got a, a year and a half uh, Boston Terrier, a year and a half old. And I've had him partly trained, but that's kind of gone away, and I didn't like the trainer. So how do I find a good somebody, you know? This person was taking medication, and she was weird. Okay. Word, word of mouth. uh I'm in Mobile. Right, and I don't have any word of mouth to give no, you. No, but I mean, just what What am I looking for? To well, what what, what do you want this little dog to do? I guess that's my, my main Oh, thing. I just want him to obey commands. Okay, basics. In the front yard, I want him to come back. Right, okay. Uh, several different you know, several different things that you might. Stuff and, of course, not jumping on people. Of course, all he wants to do is play and have right. him give him attention. You several know, things you might want to dog. explore. Uh, I know that some of the uh, food companies like PetSmart, they have some training classes where you go with your dog and they train you to train your dog, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, there are individuals, I know here in Jackson, that will take your dog and train it. Uh, but I would recommend finding a place where you go with the dog because yeah. it really helps for you to understand. and to, What's going on. Uh, right. So check out, uh, I'm sure you've got that type uh, store there and see if they have a training program. Also, there may be other. Uh, uh, we've got one called Jackson Obedience Training Club, which uh-huh. has been in business for quite a while. Uh, fees are nominal, not very, not great. And then we have some individuals that do train. Right. But you need to, what should I say, vet them out first mm-hmm. before uh, dealing with them. Okay? Yes. All right, uh, all right, now, this deal about having the, all these shots and worm stuff and whatever every six months, that, that runs like $220. I can't afford that every six months. I'm not and, sure what you're talking about. All this stuff have to be done every six months. I know he needs his trifexes. The only thing that probably he needs as far as any shot, if he's around other dogs, would be something for kennel cough, which would be your Bordetella vaccine. Yeah, well, he's, and, he's not around other dogs, just his, uh, his yeah. stepbrother who he but gets around in the I'm backyard. Not, and I'm not it. sure where the information came from that he needs these shots every six months. Uh, that's kind of far-fetched. But if he's had his complete set of puppy shots, normally once a year with that, maintain the trifexis. That's a good heartworm, flea control, and intestinal worm medicine, and that's very important. So I, I would question this shots every six months. All right, Darlene, uh, thanks for your call. Just quick, uh, my brother went and had his dog uh, d- obedience trained, and I know when the class was over, they gave the dog a little mortarboard to wear, so I thought that was kind of cute. <laughs> okay. uh, let's uh, go next to Jackson. Patty's called in today. Good morning, Patty. Well, good morning. Thank you. I was enjoying the show. Um, I know we have some trouble here at where I am, the area I'm living in, because I smell the smell. But I would like to um, command the young doctor because the information is, so so plain and, and and even a child could understand that and I, I thank you for even offering your service in that field but I was wondering about chimney sweepers can you tell me the difference because I've been um, researching these abandoned properties in Jackson and um, I've seen the, the activity of these 
just where they form in the air, then all of a sudden they go down, and they're all like one by one by one by one. Can you tell me the difference between chimney sweepers and bats? And I'll get off the line and um, listen. Thank right. you so much. Okay, I think what you're calling the chimney sweeper, that would be a common name for the chimney swift. And those are birds, so they are very different from the bat. They're birds, and uh, you will see them active in the day, and but they're also doing they're also eating insects. So they swoop, and I guess their movement is a little bit bat-like because they they swoop around, and uh, they will kind of do that swirling funnel down into the chimney. They're very and, very fast though. They've got a lot of speed. Yeah, yeah, they're a cool bird. Um, their droppings can be a problem if they're in your house or in your chimney. You may want to exclude them, and you, for that, you would just watch and be sure that they're out of the, you know, out of the chimney. But if it's a chimney that they can be in, all right, I'd go inside and look because sometimes you, if the chimney's not in in use, it might be all right for you to be able to leave them there. And they're useful because they also eat insects. I think they probably leave or migrate during the wintertime. They, they do, yeah. They leave during the winter. And that would be a good time if you wanted to exclude them. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, after a big heavy rain, I can always remember sometimes a nest will fall down into the fireplace. Not that the fireplace would necessarily be on, but, uh, and they make a lot of noise. But they're, they're really neat, and they do eat a lot of insects. Yeah. And then if you've got bats, um, they'll be flying at night, not in the day. And it'll, gosh, it's a little different odor, but that's probably hard to detect if you haven't smelled either one in the past. But, and um, are you here in Jackson? You said you were. She didn't came you? up, yeah. But yeah, she was from Jackson. Yeah. yeah. So um, you could probably call somebody at the museum and get them to pass by and um, help identify what you've got. All right. Hey, that's going to wrap us up for today. Creature Comforts is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio and the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Funding provided in part by the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science Foundation and contributions from listeners like you. Our show is produced by Jonas Adams and our call screener today was Liz Gill. So for Libby Hartfield, Dr. Troy Major and Dr. Nicole Hodges, I'm Kevin Farrell. Inviting you to stay tuned. Up next at 10, it's MPD's Season Pass with Jay White and Sam Wells. That's followed by Southern Remedy at 11. We'll be back next Thursday at 9 for another Creature Comforts, it's heard only on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.